0: it's the 8th of May 2021, we come and reflect upon these bodies of ours, take our minds to contemplate our bodies. And why do we do this? Why do we take the mind to contemplate the body? Well, this mind, it's an element that knows. And when it receives sense impressions, then this mind knows those sense impressions. But when it's devoid of wisdom and doesn't have this panya, then problems arise. So we need to train this mind so that it becomes intelligent. It can become intelligent like this. And we train it uh, through mindfulness and training this knowing element to have sati, to have this quality of recollection, sati, and sampajanya, this clear comprehension. And when this arises, this uh, supports the arising of wisdom. So this panya, you can define that as an all-around knowing into sankaras, into conditioned phenomena. But initially it's normal that these minds of ours, when they receive one of these sense impressions already, then they don't have mindfulness there. And in this case, um, then they'll just be running after these sense impressions, falling over them, and that's just natural that they'll do that. All of these things which arise, stay for a while, and then cease. When the mind does this, without knowing what's going on, then it will attach to them. A feeling arises, then there's liking or disliking that comes up. The mind proliferates, and this is Sankara's these mental formations appearing. And then there's craving and clinging, until the mind suffers. So we need to train these minds to develop mindfulness and wisdom train them to get to know, to have intelligence, to increase their intelligence. So we could give a comparison to the mind being like a small child, a baby, that's just been born into this world, and it doesn't yet know anything. It's able to crawl about, but it doesn't know what's around it, what it's doing. Maybe It sees some clothing and thinks that that'll taste good. And so it goes and sticks that clothing into its mouth. But it doesn't know that there may be bacteria on that. And so the parents of this child need to teach it, need to shout at the child at some times, tell it to stop. And because this child doesn't know, it thinks that these things are edible, so it needs to depend upon people who can look after it. And when it grows older, a bit older, it gains some more intelligence, able to walk around, but with this comes problems as well. Because when the child can walk, then it can also fall over very easily. It's also very easy for it to get lost as well. And maybe the child sees a plug socket and uh, thinks it'll be something to play, fun to play around with, and so sticks their finger in and dies. And children do die in this way. Perhaps when the child gets older, is able to swim, and goes off swimming by himself or herself, and ends up by drowning. So when a child isn't yet intelligent, it requires someone to look after it, some adults to look after it. And so these minds of ours, they are like this. And that when we don't train them, then they don't have intelligence to them. But they are also different in a way as well, in that even though we may physically be very young or be very old, maybe even 70 or 80 years old, that if we haven't trained these minds, then they remain unintelligent. Even though people may be very skilled and adept at things in this world, they may have a lot of worldly wisdom, have created a lot of wealth for them. But they still may not have intelligence in their hearts, and this creates a lot of chaos and disturbance in their lives. And perhaps they start off quite poor, and so they go to find wealth. And when they get that already, then the mind attaches to it too much. And so that money that they spent so much time and effort trying to get becomes a cause of suffering for them. So, therefore, we need to train our minds so that they have swift knowledge. And why is that? Well, it's because this body, this condition, formation of our bodies, there are things that need to break apart. That's just normal for them to do that. And we don't know when that's going to happen. And for some people, maybe just at the age of 20, this happens. And for some people, and they may get a lot older than this. But we look at the world and the 7 billion people that inhabit this world. And in 100 years, then all 7 billion of these people will be dead. And there will be new people, new births, that come to fill up the world, and maybe even more than 7 billion. But if we look at the percentage of the various age groups of the people that live in the world, you see that those who are over the age of 60, it's really not many, it's a very small percentage. It's just 20% of the people in the world. Those who are over the age of 90, it's just 2%. And so that shows that it's natural for people to die before this. And so we contemplate that, that this is not sure that we just stay in this world temporarily, and that this body is the residence of illness and of pain. And we just don't know when we're going to die. Some babies die in the womb. They don't yet make it to be born. For some small babies, just one month, two months, three months, and they die. Perhaps for some people the age of 10, the age of 20, they get cancer. And there are many people who die while they're still young. So it's really not sure. These things are uncertain. So what we must do is take these minds to contemplate and study our bodies in this way. And um, when we do this, we study and get to know them, then we should practice. So there was one previous life of the Buddha while he was a Bodhisattva and he was a king at that time. And as he was traveling through a forest, through a park, he saw a mango tree. And this mango tree, it had very tasty fruits on it. But when he came back and passed that mango tree again, then the whole thing was ruined. It was a wreck. The people had destroyed it in order to eat its fruits. And so the bodhisattva saw the danger in things that have value. He saw the danger in his wealth that he had as a king. And so he gave that up in order to find peace, in order to train our minds. So for us, if we don't train our minds, then they'll always be running after the sense impressions that we experience. They'll just cling onto things. They'll attach to everything. And suffering arises. Though we may gain things, we may have wealth, we may get praise and status and pleasure, but we still suffer throughout all of that. And when we lose those things, when we get criticized, when we lose our positions, when we experience pain, then we'll suffer even more. And that's because our minds don't have wisdom, they're devoid of panya. So we need to train these minds, these minds that don't yet have stillness, that don't yet have peace. We need to bring them so they do have these qualities. And we do that through knowing, observing this breath as it comes and goes. But we just allow the breath to flow naturally. We don't force it in any way. and We just know it as it is. Until the breath becomes more and more refined, more subtle, and the body grows light and buoyant. And here it's possible that the breath may stop altogether, and it feels like we don't have any breath, and we're just sitting there in comfort, at ease. The body and the mind feel very light. Samadhi arises, the mind becomes firm and settled. And the state is very important, because it's the root and the groundwork from which wisdom arises when our minds are well-established in samādhi. Even though this may just be kanaka samādhi, a small amount of samādhi, it's still very useful In that we use that to contemplate. We use it to teach ourselves that these bodies, it's natural for them to get old, it's natural for them to get sick, it's natural for them to die. Because if we don't contemplate these things, then when they do arise, when we do get ill, when these bodies experience pain, then we just won't have wisdom coming up in time. We won't know what's going on. It's like we take a loan out and eventually the people that we took that money from, that we loaned that money from, they come and demand it back. And so they take their money back, everything that we have, and we've got nothing left, nothing left to use. And so it's the same with these bodies. And that we loan out these bodies, but our minds go and think that they are me, and that we can stay in them forever. We see it as being me, as being mine. But if we have wisdom, then we're able to teach ourselves that this is not the case. We can touch our bones in our hands, for instance, and ask ourselves, well, are these bones me? Is this actually me? And if this bone is me, then... Surely all the bones have to be me. These bones which are our teeth, they have to be me as well. The skull has to be me. The bones in the legs have to be me as well. But we should ask ourselves, what's the truth of the matter? We can ask these bones, are you me? And they don't respond. they're just still. Touch the bones in our hands and ask, are you me? Or touch the bones in the arms, touch the skull, are you me? And they don't say anything, they're just still, they don't reply. We can ask our lungs, our hearts, our livers, are you me? And they don't answer, they're just still. What about the blood? You can ask the blood, are you me or not? It doesn't give any answer. The air, the oxygen in this body, the heat in the body, the water element, the fire element, it doesn't give any answers because they're just elements. But it's the delusion of the mind which makes us attach attach to these things as being me. And if we don't listen to the Dhamma, then that's how we take everything, that everything we experience, we consider it to be me and mine. But when we practice to gain stillness, then we can change this view. So even though we practice, in meditation and gaining stillness of mind there is still the sense of me as well that i'm the one who is generous i'm the one who's making merit i'm the one who is taking up the precepts so there's this delusion of me there uh, but we take this mind to train the body so that the body keeps the precepts and we use these bodies put them to good use to make merit that we need these bodies to make this merit to take care of the precepts, to make sure our actions of body and speech are within the bounds of the precepts. And by doing that, what we're actually doing is controlling our hearts, and that they don't um, allow the body or the speech to do anything that's wrong. Then after that, we train in meditation, and we can use loving-kindness or compassion as our meditation objects, so that's okay. Because we see in the current state of the world that there's a lot of suffering that's going on. So when we observe that, then we think, may these beings be free from suffering. We bring up this wish in our hearts, the wish for this to be the case. But it's not that this is just a hollow wish, and we think that, but we don't do anything. But we help out as well. We use our bodies to help just like the doctors, the nurses, the medical staff, who are putting in so much effort to help those beings who are in suffering. And also there are monks who are helping out in this way, seeing people who are in pain, who are in difficulty, and helping out through giving materials, through giving Dhamma, teachings of truth, as well. And so if monks have skill in a certain area, then they can use that to help society, such as building hospitals or building factories which can produce oxygen tanks. Because these things are lacking, and if we're able to give them, then we should do so. We should help in the ways that we can help. So we have this metta, this wish for people to be happy. And when they're suffering, then we wish for them to be free from that suffering. When they're free from that suffering, then we wish for them to look after themselves so that they don't suffer anymore, for them to be happy. But for a lot of people, they don't really help out. They may think that old age and death, these are just normal things. And so they have this upekka. But we shouldn't hurry to reach that point of upeka, of equanimity. But we give our kindness and compassion first. We have the sympathetic joy first. But when we see that we actually can't help anyone, or we can't help people, and that's the case for most people in the world, that we actually can't do much to help them, we see that they must get old, that they must die. And then that's the point where we respond with equanimity. So we need to train these minds, bring them to stillness, bring them to peace. And then after that, we develop kindness and compassion. Or we could do it the other way around, and when we sit in meditation, then we cultivate kindness and compassion first. And so we bring up these qualities, develop these things, in order to see the truth of what it is which we attach to, to see its nature, to see how old age, sickness and death are normal things, and to come to accept these truths. So the wisdom can arise. And so we train our minds to give rise to wisdom. Isn't that right? Isn't that what we should be doing? We train this knowing element so that it becomes discerning and wise. Because if we don't train it, then there will constantly be me and mine, unceasingly, until we die. But when we do train these things, then they can give rise to a knowledge, and this is something that's very important. And so we need to cultivate this knowing. But it doesn't happen immediately, however. But what we do as we practice is we cultivate our Bharamis, we cultivate our spiritual virtues little by little because we've been deluded for a very long time already. And so it's just not the case that we can know everything instantly. It takes a huge amount of parami to be able to do that. That those who have created a lot of parami, they're able to know things immediately. And so during the Buddha's time, and there were some people who were like that. And in the present day and age, there are a few people But this present age which we're in, for the most part, people don't have very much barami. For those who have cultivated a lot of barami, then they'll gain knowledge very quickly. But this differs between people. And so it's like different kinds of horses. There are some horses which they just see a whip and they run very quickly. And there are those who... They just get hit once by the whip, and they run. And so these are slower than the first kind. Uh, But what about nowadays? What are the kinds of horses which we have nowadays? These are the ones that you have to constantly be whipping. Whenever you stop whipping them, then they stop running. So what we mean by whipping is that we always need to be teaching our minds so that they have effort, so that they have this enthusiasm to practice, to train. So we put in our effort like this. We build up our mindfulness and our wisdom we endure until the mind does reach peace, so that we're able to contemplate the body in a way that allows us to understand it clearly, so that the mind comes together. But the knowledge that we gain here it's not thinking. Initially we may think, but this isn't wisdom. What needs to happen is there needs to be peace of mind first. And then when the mind leaves this peaceful state, then thinking occurs. So we see that this wisdom, it arises from peace. And so we get to know the truth of these things, know the truth of the elements, for instance. And we may say that this mind is a knowing element, uh, but that's just speech that's just using words. But when we actually know this for real, then it's a direct knowledge that comes up. And the mind is very bright here, for three days and three nights, that this is possible. There's this very clear insight that comes up, and seeing the Dhamma in this way. And so when our reaches a stage of fullness, then that's when we can see the Dhamma and attain to the Dhamma. And what do we do next? Oh, well, we need to contemplate again, but it's easier at this point because we've already known, we've already seen these things. The mind experiences a great brightness, a joyness, Fullness comes up in the heart. And it's unbelievable, this state. It's really amazing. And uh, when we look, then we can see and perceive into the Dhamma that everything we look at, we see it as Dhamma. And before, when the eye saw a form, and we took that to be me and mine. But when there's Dhamma in the heart, then we see everything as being Dhamma. And when we reach this point, then there's a great faith that we have in the practice. The mind becomes very firm. So we see that for those people who have ordained for a long time already, they have the faith to do this. And that shows that they have Barami there. They have this barami to be able to practice. And so we use that. We use what we have. And we develop ourselves a lot. We try and meditate a lot. And there may be some monks who help out in many duties, many things around the monastery. And they think they may not be getting anywhere in the practice. But when they get around to the practice, it may develop very quickly. There are those who have ordained at quite an old age already, and they're very sincere in their practice. And it's not just monks who are like this, lay people as well. Many of the lay disciples have great sincerity, have this real firm intention to practice. And there's no need to even speak about generosity. Then they help with everything that they can help with. They already look after their precepts very well. They have this moral integrity to them. And so they come to meditate, to listen to the Dhamma, and have this real sincerity, constantly be practicing meditation. And so we do so until the mind does become peaceful, and we gain this true knowledge. So we need to train our minds so that they do come to a state of peace. And when samadhi becomes well established, then wisdom arises at the point, but we do need to train our minds to get there. And the mind that is well-trained brings happiness. So we should try, we should put in our effort, we should practice together before these bodies break apart, before they develop illness and sickness. And we just don't know when that's going to happen. We can't say when these bodies are going to die. It may happen while we're young, it may happen in mid-age, it may happen in old age. We just don't know. And if anyone's over the age of 60 already, that shows they've got a lot of merit. So we should really train ourselves, be meditating, practice together, be sincere, be contemplating. Bring the mind to a state of stillness so that it can gain clear knowledge. And when it does this, then faith becomes well-established, more well-established than it was before, through our meditation. We may be reciting Buddha, Dhammo, or Sangha, and we should be firm in that. If the mind isn't so peaceful, then we should chant it to be so, the recollection of the qualities, the virtues of the Buddha. Do this 108 times for many, many rounds. Always be chanting in this way, so that the mind gains energy. And then the factors of sila, samadhi, and banya come together and we gain clear knowing. The mind becomes very contented, full, and there's no doubts at this point. Any feelings of liking or disliking, we teach ourselves with wisdom. And we gain wisdom here, and there's a great confidence in this path of practice. So all our doubts are relieved. And so Lumpur he constantly taught us that we should have mindfulness that's swift, that's up to speed. No matter what posture we're in, we should know what we're doing. If the mind is going into liking or disliking, then we train our mind, saying that there's no me or mine here. And we teach our minds in this way. And so this is a very brief and simple teaching, but when we put it into the practice, it's quite difficult. However, we carry on without stopping, and in the end, the mind will need to reach a place of stillness and peace. So the samādhi arises. And the result is that we see that really everything is the same. All beings, all things in this world are the same. They're all just a collection of elements. We see the truth of them. Everything becomes empty. But this knowing element, that's what it's like if it actually knows. But if the knowing element doesn't know, then it attaches. It attaches to these five khandhas, to form feeling, memory or perception, to mental formation, sense consciousness, as me and mine. So the great teachers, they taught us that when these minds are peaceful already, we should contemplate the body But it's sometimes the case that when we're meditating, the mind is well-established in samādhi, then you'll think that the body is too coarse. We won't want to look at it. We'll want to just focus on the mind instead. But we should be really cautious here. Because here, it's where the corruptions of defilement, of, of insight, rather, arise. And there are these kilesas which are there within insight. And they go and attach to this brightness. They attach to the peace, to the joy, to the samadhi, to the fullness of heart. And they become deluded in it. And these things turn into obstacles. So therefore we need to contemplate their nature of being unstable, of being always changing, of being source of stress, of being not-self. And we contemplate until we see this clearly. And when we do that, then... A clear knowledge will arise, a very amazing knowledge. And perhaps before, when we went to certain meditation, it would be very difficult to get the mind and the body to a state of buoyancy. and We have to really put in a lot of effort, we have to endure with many things. And there can be a lot of suffering in doing this. But we carry on because we want to attain to the Dhamma. We see that the Dhamma has more value than anything else. But when the mind does reach a state of peace, when we're walking, then there's a great sense of lightness in the heart. And both the body and the mind are very light. And this can stay with us for months at a time. It's really an amazing thing. And here we may want to just pass over sangsara altogether, to go out of sangsara, to reach Lakutara, but the mind comes back, it drops from this state, and samādhi becomes something difficult to reach again. We may suffer a lot and ask ourselves, or where's this peace, Where's where's this collectedness gone off to? And so we have to gather up our efforts anew to start all over again. And at this point, then, it's natural to go and blame this and that for our practice degenerating to say that we have all this work to do, so my samādhi is deteriorating. But it's actually just natural for this to happen. When the mind becomes full again, when it becomes joyful again, then knowledge arises and then it retreats from this state. And then we have to bring up this effort, that energy to renew our efforts again. Then the mind collects once again and comes to a state of peace. And so, the state may retreat for one or two years, uh, but then the body and the mind become light all over again. And so, for myself, I reached this point in the year 1981, during April. And uh, both my body and my mind were very light, there was a great clarity. And my mind could enter into samadhi very easily. No matter what posture I was in, there was a sense of lightness. I contemplated the body, and I could see it as just being empty. It was just a heap of elements. You could see the body as being something unattractive very easily. So this was when I was about to enter into my sixth reigns retreat, my sixth year as a monk. And uh, my mind went into deep samadhi during this time. And again, an emptiness. could see into emptiness. There was a great clarity in this way. Could break apart the body and see it just as being these very subtle, very refined particles. That there was no being, no self, no other to it. And a great joy arose, which filled up, filled up my entire heart. I gained a great and deep understanding here. And so the things which I had. Wondered about, which I was in doubt about before I ordained, these gradually disappeared. That faith became very well established, and doubts disappeared to one level. But some of these doubts, they came back again. But as I carried on practicing, um, then it reached a point where all of these just disappeared. And what would there be to doubt about? It could see everything as being anatta, and this was very clear this insight into not self. And so there were no doubts anymore. I just contemplated um, every single day and uh, brought my mind into samadhi, into a place of stillness. When, when the mind is very deep in samadhi, uh, we may want to think but no thoughts come up, it's just not able to think. But for myself, uh, before this happened, I'd want for the mind to stop thinking, and it, would, it wouldn't do this, it would just carry on thinking. And uh, when the mind comes out of the state of samādhi, then both the body and the mind are very bright and very light. And then we come to contemplate the body, and emptiness arises. I see it as just being empty, seeing as being a collection of elements. And knowledge, this true knowledge, really arises in the heart at this point. You may want to go out of the world altogether, to be freed from samsara, to reach the state of lokutara of complete emptiness. And it's like you have already tasted the flavor of the Dhamma. And just like when we taste a fruit, and we know whether it's sweet or sour or bitter, there's no doubts about that there's this clear knowledge, we don't have any more doubts about it. And so we need to train ourselves like this, and have confidence in this training as well, and contemplate until we gain clarity, until this insight is very distinct, until we come to see the Dhamma clearly. And at this point, there's no eighth life. It may just be three lives, maybe just one life that's left. And so may all of you really set your hearts in practicing in this way. Even though it's difficult, it's something that we can do, we can train our minds, we can cultivate wisdom within our hearts. Because if we don't have wisdom, when we die, then we'll take another birth, and then from that birth there'll be death, and then there'll be birth again, and then death again. And these minds will constantly be caught up, be tossed around in the cycle of saṃsāra, And this will happen for countless lifetimes. So for us, in this life, we have already found the Dhamma. So we shouldn't be heedless. We should put in our efforts. And For the new monks, you should always be chanting it to be so, to be doing this all the time, throughout the entire day, every day. So whatever you're doing, to be chanting in this way. Until you become very skilled at it, until you're able to recite Buddha, Dhamma, or Sanko, and the mind can reach, reach stillness and peace. Have a lot of mindfulness. And when you practice in this way, then you will come to know and see the Dhamma. So may you set your hearts on this.